Welcome to episode 69 of the Amanda Wagner podcast, the place for fiercely ambitious entrepreneurs and leaders who want to get off the sidelines, build a legacy and claim their spotlight. In this episode, we are taking a bit of a different direction. We're doing something we've never done before. We're going to explain a little bit about the podcasting process and why it's relevant to this episode. And we're going to do a mini exploration of a few ideas that haven't quite made the cut for full podcast episodes, but are still important to discuss. And then finally, we're going to call on you to share any of your haft form ideas or any questions that you'd like us to explore. I'm Amanda Wagner, a business strategist, coach, and professional speaker. And I'm Liz Pittman, a digital communications specialist. The Amanda Wagner podcast is the place for ambitious leaders and entrepreneurs who are done shopping for shortcuts, no longer waiting for an invitation to do what they want, and are ready to claim their spotlight. On this podcast, we talk about the challenges and triumphs of ambition and bravery, living thoughtfully and strategically in a noisy world, and share our experiences as entrepreneurs with big ambition. When it comes to podcasting, there are a lot of little steps, especially because Liz and I have committed to being really consistent with the podcast, ensuring that there's an episode out every two weeks. One of those steps is first, idea generation. What do we want to talk about? What are we skilled at talking about? What expertise do we share? Sometimes it looks like doing some research and reading some articles, seeing what other people are saying about this idea. And of course, not getting caught up in that phase because we could research forever. Then it comes to time where we do some loose scripting. So for us, that looks like a scheduled format of first we talk about the things we're going to discuss, then I do an introduction, then we go to Liz, but mostly it's bullet points in between those sections. I have a few spots highlighted where I'll say, Liz, what's your take on this? Or Liz, what do you have to contribute? Then we sit down to actually record and we try to do at least two episodes at one time. We have gone as far as doing four at one time and it is far too much. We just get exhausted and it is not worth it. And then it goes to all the things I have written down, all the stuff that Liz does. <laughs> Liz, what are your next couple steps? I will take the recording. I will go through it, cut out any flubs that we have, uh, the occasional um or ah uh or weird tech little blip. I check all of the audio levels. I'll add music and then I'll mix it all together and export it, send it back to Amanda to listen to it. Perfect. And then once it's listened to, or once we hit that, if I have any feedback, I send it back to Liz. She makes any adjustments to it. And then Liz will upload it for our scheduled date. And that's then where we switch into the marketing side of things, creating content. I'll film videos and stories. Liz will create reels to promote the episode and make sure that it is in the right places. And then from there, it's about using Instagram and LinkedIn to promote that this exists. The podcast exists, comes listen. This is what we're talking about. So this is not as simple as jump in front of a mic and record. And in my experience as an avid podcast listener, often the podcasts that I turn off without finishing are the stream of consciousness. I just sat down with a mic and wanted to share with you people. And I find that they are incredibly annoying and not well thought out and not consistent. So I don't stick around. My job is to make sure that our podcast is not one of those. We do all that work and then we do it again. 
So every single month we go through this process so that we're at least one month ahead with recording. When I was taking time off to have a baby, Liz and I had to step back and make sure that we had episodes for April when I was off for the month. And then make sure in June that we had episodes for July when I was off. And even in August, when Liz was in my city and we were spending time together, we committed that that was friend time, not work time. So you flew back home and the next day we got on the mic and said, okay, now it's work time. Let's do this again. You know that idea or that feeling when you're onto something, but it isn't fully fleshed out, flushed out. I don't know which one it is, if it's flushed or fleshed. Jessica, I know you're here. Please tell us. Uh, Jessica Anthony has a beautiful Instagram page where she explains some of these words. And as somebody who thinks they have an excellent grasp of the English language and grammar, please help us out if it's flushed out or fleshed out. Back to my point is you know the feeling when you have something, but it isn't fully marinated. You don't have it completely understood, but you don't want this idea to die in a Google Doc. That's where we're at today. I have many ideas that are floating around in Google Docs, but they haven't quite made it to full episodes yet. Sometimes it's because I haven't had the chance to fully explore the idea. Sometimes I'm uncomfortable with a topic and don't always know how it's going to be received, so I hold back on it. Sometimes it's because I want to do more research before I start exploring an idea publicly, and sometimes it's simply because I'm not quote, there yet with an idea. I need some of that time to marinate and really figure out what do I want to say about this? Why does it matter? And what's in it for my audience? What's in it for our listeners? If you're going to spend 30 minutes with us, I better deliver. So today we're sharing some of these half-baked ideas with two goals in mind. First is that maybe one of these ideas sticks out to you and gives you a little snippet of what you need today in just a few minutes. The second goal is that in talking about some of these ideas in a short form way, it might help expand on what I want to say. It might help me see how they become larger concepts and see the the conversation that Liz and I can have back and forth and go, how can we take this further? There is also a secret motive in here which is some of the ideas have come from our listeners. So every DM or email that we get that says, hey, you should talk about this. We screenshot it and Liz and I keep it in in a shared photo album of ideas for future podcasts. So my secret motive is that I want to encourage you to reach out, send us a DM on Instagram. If you have an idea of something you'd like us to talk about, even if it's not fully formed because I want you to know we take these ideas, we work on them, and it helps us create some really spectacular content through the lens of being highly ambitious people who want to get shit done. We are our leaders and entrepreneurs in our own way. So hearing these suggestions makes us, A, think about big ideas, and B, help the people who are connecting in our community. It is always my job to turn a small idea into something meaningful. So if you've ever thought, I wonder what LP thinks about this, or what would Amanda say, please let us know. We will always find a place for it. So there are about five ideas that we have come up with that are just partially there. So we're going to discuss to the point where we go, okay, I think that 
that's all we have to say for now. So I can't guarantee that there'll be five minutes or seven minutes or two minutes. So I encourage you to keep listening along to the episode as it is a little bit of a dog's breakfast, but it is intended to be that. So this first idea that hasn't quite made it to a full 30 minute podcast episode is the concept of taking something that you're interested in, a hobby, passion, an interest, and the pressure to monetize it. It seems like as soon as you are good at creating something, right? I make these brilliant designs and I put them on sweaters. There's always somebody, and sometimes it's me, saying, when you want to make money on this, let me know. When you want to turn your hobby into a business, let me know. We can figure out how to do that. And what I want to do is take some of the pressure off. Just because you like to do something and you're good at doing something doesn't mean you have to make money from it. And I think that this is where the side hustle culture has come from, that everything has to be monetized now. And in some ways, I think that's a big joy sucker for some people. Maybe I just want to make my one-off design of a silkscreen t-shirt because I think it's cool. Maybe I want to help this person with one thing because I think it's interesting, but I don't want to create a business out of it. And that's okay. Liz, what are your thoughts on monetizing passion? I've done it and ended up resenting what I was doing. I think of the phrase, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. It's more like do what you love and then completely resent what you do every day of your life. (laughs) (laughs) Do what you love for money and love the money, but hate the thing and never want to do it again. Yeah. I used to really, really love going to Zumba classes. It used to be the highlight of my week back when Zumba was more of a thing than it is now. I loved it. I loved dance. I loved the music. I loved it so much. I decided I was going to become an instructor. So I became a Zumba instructor and it completely took all of the fun out of it for me. I taught two days a week and I completely dreaded teaching the class. Once I got into it, it was okay, but it was so much work to come up with the choreography and pick the music. And there's a very specific formula you have to follow. And it was not the same joy that I got out of just showing up and getting to enjoy it as a participant, because I decided Mm -hmm. to take on that role of the instructor. It completely, completely changed any love that I had for it. That's such a good example, because I think that's a very logical route for people. I love yoga. Therefore I'll do yoga teacher training because then I can make some money while I do something that I love. And while I'm exercising and doing things that my body likes, it's a very logical path for people. So Liz, how did you get out of it? I moved and (laughs) simple as that. I'm just going to move my life so I don't have to teach Zumba. I moved from Saskatchewan to Alberta. And when I was in Alberta, I picked up the odd class here or there, but because I was in a new space, I had less connections. It was just an easy thing to cut ties with. Uh, So that's, that's, that's how it unfolded for me. (laughs) You heard it here first. (laughs) If you have monetized your passion and regret it, just move provinces. (laughs) It's easy as that, folks. (laughs) I I think that, again, this is such a great example. And and the... To to tie this in a bow, it's a, you can like something and not make money from it. 
you can want to do something and not have to create an income from it. That is totally okay. And on my side, also, Amanda, stop freaking telling people that you could make money from this. Call me when you want to turn it into a business because I am unintentionally sometimes putting pressure on people. So it's also my job to let people know, hey, I'm here. But if you want to keep this as something that you're interested in and it's your hobby and it's your evenings and weekends, enjoy the hell out of it. You do not have to make money from every single thing that you like. Boom. Mini podcast episode one, done. (laughs) I would love to hear what our listeners think about this idea and this sort of trend of the side hustle and what are you doing with your passion, with your hobby? Do you have to run an Etsy store just because you like to cross stitch? Do you have to create a Patreon account just because you wanted to record a funny podcast? You don't have to make money from everything. And I am somebody who loves to make money. So that is, uh, that's a hell of a statement. Mini episode number two, this comes from my youth. And interestingly, Robin and I were both raised by one parent who grew up on a farm. So we talk about our farm parents His dad and my mom were both raised with an incredible work ethic. Not that his mom and my dad weren't, um, but it's definitely our farm parents that come to mind. And it's the idea of making hay while the sun shines. The idea of make hay while the sun shines for anybody who is not a Ukrainian Canadian is that when things are good, you want to take advantage of it. You want to make sure that When things are working in your favor, you don't let that go or let it slip or waste any time or energy or money-making potential. What this has actually done for us, yes, we have an incredible work ethic, but to the point where we often don't take sick days. Yes, we'll work incredibly hard to accomplish our goals, but we also won't stop. So we overbook our schedules and burn out. So this concept of making hay while the sunshine sounds really great. We want to do our best work while we are in a position to take advantage of it. But it's also set us back because it's made us question if the sun will ever shine again. The cost of burning out and being exhausted and filling our schedules is higher than we used to think it was because then we need to recover. So there is a lot to be said for us starting to trust that the sun will shine again, that we have more than one opportunity to do something. Um, I will tell you that I missed out on an opportunity. Uh, If you listen to the past episode, you will hear me talk about how afraid I was to listen to this DM. And when I finally got the guts to listen to it, it was an opportunity to participate in something with other uh, movers and shakers of Edmonton. And I'm sitting here cringing going, oh, I hate that I missed out on that. But there's another part of me going, there will be an opportunity like that again. So instead of beating myself up, instead of working harder and putting in more hours, learning to trust that this is not my only opportunity. I also think about when, when I grew up, I grew up in middle class, lower middle class family, I would say. And 
when I went to Europe for the first time, I was 22. I went with my friend Ember. We were backpacking. Um, and no, were we backpacking? What does backpacking mean? We stayed in hostels, but we had backpacks. That's not backpacking, is it? For this story, sure it is. Okay, for this story, we wore backpacks across Europe and right. stayed in hostels. And we talked a lot about how this was such a cool trip and how exciting it was. And here's the five cities that we're going to go to. And I remember my parents saying, wow, this is your trip to Europe. And I remember saying back, no, this is my first trip because I knew that I would find a way to make it back, that it wasn't the only time I was ever going to see these cities and these countries and meet people and have these experiences. So I'm, I'm trying to keep that in mind going, we have more than one opportunity to do great things. We are not stuck in any way. Liz, did you have a make hay while the sunshine's upbringing? Oh, for sure. I'm a, I'm a farm. I'm a farmer's daughter. Uh, Totally. And I think that to some extent, I still have some of that. I think that I've been able to build in a little bit more balance uh, than I maybe uh, originally had, Uh, but absolutely. That's always, that's always in the back of my head. And I think that's, I think that's the case for a lot of people, uh, whether they have the mentality of making hay while the sun shines or it's some other phrasing. I I absolutely think that that's a thing a lot of people deal with and Mm -hmm. determining what the correct balance is for them in the season of life that they're in. Yeah. It's still an ongoing thing. And I think where, where I wanted to take this episode as I'm still trying to figure out how to create something larger out of it is that there are definitely perks to making hay while the sun shines. I love my work ethic. I love that I will like get in the dirt and get things done and I I care about it. But there is also some, some sort of lingering resentful feelings. And there's some, ooh, but at what cost? So making hay while the sun shines, it has its perks, it has its disadvantages, but it's something that I'm kind of working on and figuring out how to sort of reprogram what balance looks like. I can still have a great work ethic and take a sick day if I'm sick, right? I can still really care about what I'm doing without giving up all of my time and energy to somebody else and neglect care on myself. There you have it, mini episode number two. Mini episode number three is about client retention. And this is something that I hadn't really considered until somebody brought it to my attention and said, I'd love to hear an episode about how you keep your clients, because I hear that you have had like corporate or post-secondary larger clients for more than two years. And this person said, how do you do that? Because they have lots of wonderful clients, but it's more project-based one and done. So I've been thinking a lot about how I've actually made this happen. And I think one of the things that I have done that I I want to share is that I've really opened myself up to believing that I can learn many things and emphasizing to my clients that I'm willing to do that. So I like to make people fall in love with my style of doing things. And my job is to help create trust where I can learn a piece of content the night before. I can explore and research a big idea for a keynote in the month leading up to it. But my magic is transferable. And I remember when I was a high school teacher 
And I went back to grad school and I wanted to study what I called brain teachers versus heart teachers, which now 10 years later, I can see as might sound dismissive. I don't intend it to be dismissive. I would consider brain teachers as people who say, I love chemistry, therefore I'm going to teach chemistry versus heart teachers who say, I love teaching. I love the act of communicating. I love encouraging and mentoring people. I'm going to learn how to do some chemistry this weekend so that I can teach that content area. So I would definitely consider myself more of the, the heart teacher. There were many evenings and weekends where I'm like, I need to learn how to do trig again. And I'm going to sit at my kitchen table and figure out how to do trig and logarithms and all that stuff so that I can teach it the next day. But my magic was never in my content area. And so when it comes to client retention, yes, I want to have a niche and yes, I think it's important, but I don't want to be so stuck to one specialty that it's the only piece that I do. That's part of the reason that I expanded my first business, the compliment from talking about customer experience to using my name because I wanted that agility. I wanted to be flexible in what I can talk about and to believe that my magic is when I get on stage and how I deliver content and less about the content itself. Liz, I feel like you can connect to this because the title social media manager has never totally fit for you. So how is it different for you being a digital communication expert and specialist versus social media manager? And how has that impacted the opportunities you've had? I've stuck with the the title of digital communication specialist because because it is a little bit more broad, because that way that empowers me to take on projects that all belong in the space of digital marketing and digital communications, but I'm not limiting myself to just social media management. Because in reality, that's a really small part of what I do. And some people will come to me for social media, but some people will come to me for writing or some people will come to me for podcasting. So I've chosen to to take on that role because I don't want to limit the opportunities that come my way. I feel like if I use the role or the title of social media manager that would completely shut off people from even asking if I was open to doing X project because that the title and that project wouldn't align. Whereas by keeping it more vague, it allows me to have the option to say no, as opposed to people not coming to me at all. That's exactly it. There are definitely people who will say, oh, that's vague. That's not specific enough. I don't really know what you do. And in some ways that can be an advantage. If you can explain, here's what I actually do. That's when we can start to get creative about what this opportunity might look like. I know I've had people come my way and say, would you ever do this? The other piece of client retention is when somebody says, would you ever do this? I say, yes. And I find a way to make it happen because this kind of connects with a conversation about boundaries where I like to believe that boundaries are about writing them all out on a piece of paper and putting them on the fridge and saying, here are my boundaries. What boundaries actually are is, is testing something, feeling it and going, oh, do I need to pull back on that? Do I need to assert myself in some other way? So there are many opportunities with my clients where I've had to test myself and go into an uncomfortable situation and then say, 
hey, yes, I actually do it. I've told a story about when I first started coaching, it was three, over three years ago now. And somebody said, hey, do you do, you do coaching? And I was like, yeah, yes, I do. I didn't have a formal coaching practice at that time. And to this day, I still don't like the word coach. So I remember saying, well, I actually don't like the word business coach. And she said, okay, do you mentor people for money? And I said, yes, I do that. So part of it was the language that held me back, but it was building in some of that flexibility to say, let's connect as humans. And that's a big piece of the work that I do with any of my clients for their comfort and learning and development to even the playing field. But also for mine, I acknowledge that we are humans first. We are humans before we are entrepreneurs. We are humans before we are leaders. We are humans before we are subject matter experts. So let's meet each other on a human level. Then we can connect and figure out what is the content that we're connecting on? What is the task or the project that we're going to do together? So I wish it was easy to scale or easy to say, here's the five-step program to make sure that your clients want to keep you. I can't give you that manual, but what I can tell you is that by opening it up and talking as people, that has what has been able to keep my clients coming back. It's made it so that I can adjust my contract and say, I want to do a little bit less of this and a little bit more of this. I'm having a conversation with one of my clients next week that is completely focused on, I want to do a little bit less coaching and a little bit more writing. How do we make that happen? It also makes it easier for me to pitch myself. One other piece that I think has been incredibly impactful as far as retention is that I am a stickler for results. I want people to see change. I want people to see a difference. And that means that when I go in and I pitch myself or we have a conversation or I send a proposal, I explicitly say what I bring to the table is not a binder of things you should do that sits on a shelf and collects dust for the next 10 years. What I bring instead is actionable ideas. I bring thoughtful questions that challenge your team to create their own understanding because any professional has been in a PD session where you sit there and go, yeah, this sounds really good. You spend your Friday afternoon in a session and then on Monday, your practice doesn't change at all. So part of the way that I have been able to retain clients is by really being results focused and putting my energy into how do I create results, regardless of if I'm teaching chemistry or sales and marketing or channeling ambition, whatever that thing is, it's the way that you do it. And it also reminds me to not get too dependent on that content. I want to be flexible. That one, I think, can become a full episode. So I would love our listeners to, to poke into that, send any questions or ideas you have, because that one I know is just on the cusp, but it's not quite there. There's got to be something more for me to dig into. So I'm working on it, but that's mini episode three. Uh, mini episode four that I'm going to let Liz take the lead on here is the idea of quiet quitting. This has been very much a buzzword sort of thing on LinkedIn the last couple of weeks. A lot of people are talking about the idea 
of quiet quitting. And definitions vary, but essentially quiet quitting refers to clocking in when you're supposed to, doing the tasks you've been assigned to, leaving on time, and not doing any extra work. You are doing the job you were hired to do, aka you've set boundaries and are respecting your own time and not taking on more work than you are supposed to. And people are blown away by this idea of only doing what you're supposed to do. And I think it's absurd how buzzy this whole conversation has been lately. And so I wanted to bring it to you, Amanda, because the idea that boundary setting is being referred to as quietly quitting is ridiculous. Way I I have so many hand movements here because <laughs> I am also one of these people that's going like, I can't believe this is a concept that people are so up in arms about. But when you mentioned it, I was like, oh yeah, I'm not familiar with that. Like I, I've never experienced like just being done at the end of the day. But as as recently as last night, I was on a walk with somebody and he said, you're really good at boundaries. And I said, oh, thank you, I guess. Like, I think I must put off this sense that I'm good at boundaries. I am trying. Boundaries are not one and done. Um, I, I don't know what has happened in our world where we have to do more and we have to overextend ourselves. The big question, of course, is what are you trying to prove? I'm a prover right? I'm, I'm, I'm asking this to our audience, but I'm asking it to myself because I often think like, what am I trying to prove and to whom? Because I have a, I have a story that I'm sure I've told on the podcast before that in my former job, I took a, I want to say it was 22 or 25 hour flight home from Finland that had four different legs. I went from Finland to London, London to Vancouver, Vancouver to Calgary, Calgary to Edmonton, because it saved the company $900. And that was where, number one, I was shopping with my own wallet. because so I was like, oh, if this was out of pocket, I would do this. I, I want to do it the cheap way. But really what I was looking for was somebody to say, good job, Amanda, you saved us $900. Because at that point, I didn't think my time was worth anything. On reflection, nobody else at that company who, who would travel for work would have made that call. Everyone else would have said like, hell no, I'm not doing this in 22 hours. I'm going to go from Finland to London, London to Edmonton. But I, I went the hard way because I had to prove I'm good at this. Validate me, grade me, tell me I'm amazing. But I didn't get that validation either. So this is like, I'm feisty about this because there's part of me that's so mad about it. Like what kind of world do we live in where we have to think about clocking in, doing our work and clocking out as quiet quitting? Isn't that just having a job? Isn't that just work? Isn't that what we sign up for? This is a transaction. I come in, I do the work, I get paid. That's it. But for some reason, we've had to think of words like quiet quitting or slackcation. I remember at my former job going on slackcation where I would have to tell people, I'm signing off of Slack for the afternoon. If you need something, come by my desk. We have to create these words 
because we are taught that we have to be on or we're searching for validation or for proof that we are good enough. But in order to be good enough, we have to do all this extra shit. To bring some levity to this, I saw uh, an update from someone on LinkedIn. His name is Adam Karpiak. And he posted, it's only quiet quitting if it comes from the Champagne region of France. Otherwise, it's just sparkling boundaries. (laughs) (laughs) Adam, (laughs) yes, thank you. It is sparkling boundaries. A hundred percent. Uh, work is challenging. And one of the topics that I don't know if I have the emotional strength for, but would love to discuss is this idea of enoughness in life, but also in business. The reason I hesitate is because my instinct is I'm not qualified to talk about this. And this leads beautifully into kind of the fifth topic. I think these two will go together, which is this idea of really somebody used the language of stepping into your power. How do I show up in such a way that not only do I know I'm enough, but that I make other people also believe that I'm enough without having to bend over backwards. And I'm just at a loss for words because there are so many people, regardless of your career or your industry, or if you work for yourself or someone else or both or neither, our work lives are so complex. And when you step back and think about it, it can make you angry. Like I'm angry at this idea of quiet quitting and that this is now the norm. And I mean, there's part of me that wants to poke fun at it and be like, this isn't quiet quitting because now you're on LinkedIn bragging about how you're better than the rest of us because you have boundaries. <laughs> but this, this concept of enoughness, what, I, I don't know how we solve it. My instinct is that we talk about it. And when I was in grad school, we had a little writing group. There were three or four of us and We would tell each other when we saw each other in the halls or in our office, we would say, hey, just want to let you know you're good enough. And it was this, oh, this is hitting me. Wayne, if you're out there, you're good enough. My good friend, Wayne, him and I had really different approaches to school. And we have the exact same degree on the wall. And he was somebody who would stay up till two in the morning studying stats. And I was not. Um but we both needed that reminder of being good enough. And so, yes, we can dig into, maybe we didn't get this from our families and validation. And I mean, that's a whole therapy discussion. That's not the place for this, but what I will say is that my version of tying this in a bow is that I think we could all use the reminder that we are good enough as we are. And that even as adults, we need to be told that. This is hitting me hard. Boundaries seem to have become a thing that we all want or know we want or think we want, but don't know how to do it or enforce it. And think that by creating boundaries, we are telling someone no, we are making it personal, we don't care. 
And I worry that the norm is do more and more and more and more and more until we have a world of people that are burnt out and resentful and we're just tired. And I don't know when it will stop because the challenge of course, is that we set boundaries and we're called lazy. We set boundaries and there becomes this, I'm better than you. I think about this at my old job where I would see people who would leave it for, and I'd be like, I guess you don't care very much. I know I've thought this, I've said this. And so enoughness is, if, if we thought we were enough, if we knew what we were doing is enough, how could we show up? If, if we knew that who we are and what we do is enough, would you leave at four o'clock? Would you spend the extra $900 of company money on the flight? So maybe this is, this is tying it in about what would you do if you actually believed that you were enough and you knew that other people believed that too? I think there's two pieces because I, I know that there's somebody out there going, isn't it more important to just think that you're enough and not need somebody else's validation? Maybe, probably, right? You've heard me ask the question on the, on the podcast before, like, who is they? What will they think? Who is they? Who really counts? I think we could just all use to be told that we're good enough a little more often. And that extra hours aren't the answer. And taking a shittier flight isn't the answer. And taking on extra projects and tasks isn't going to make you more enough. It's going to make you more tired. In preparing for a keynote I have this week, I use the language expectations dictate performance. So when we accept that we have to set expectations and we have to look at what we actually want to do, what we want to achieve, who we want to be, that will help us perform in that way. So maybe we need to just, oh, I hate myself for saying this, lower our expectations a little bit. And maybe lowering our expectations isn't really lowering them, but it's being realistic about what we can do. I'm just like feeling in this space because clearly this is something I'm experiencing and I can't be the only one. And it would be so easy Oh, it'd be so easy for me to say, Liz, cut out that part where I'm bawling about enoughness, but I also know that this is probably the most important part. Because as I said, we are humans before we're entrepreneurs. We're humans before we're leaders. We're humans before we're employees. At the risk of being one of those people (laughs) that I used to roll my eyes at before I had a kid. Um, there are some things like this that hit differently when, when you have a child, that is my experience. I am not saying that having children is better than not having children. None of those judgments exist here. Every night before I put Dottie to bed or before one of us puts Dottie to bed, I always say to her, I say, I love you. You are loved and you are safe. And you are good enough just as you are forever and ever. And I put her down with that every night because I need her to know that. Because I don't want to raise a child who feels like they aren't enough. Because I know how hard that is. 
And I have to believe that as I, I put myself out here, there is somebody in their car having a good cry right now going, oh, I need to be told that I'm good enough too. So, so here it is. You are good enough as you are forever and ever. Who you are is good enough. What you do is good enough. And you don't have to make a statement about quitting work at four o'clock for this to be true. And you don't have to do it perfectly every single day either. I think that's where some of our terminology around work falls short is that we start to think that in order to do this right, I have to do it every single day. And if I change something or if I do something different the next day, then I failed. And I don't think that's true, right? Our last episode, we talked a lot about efficiency. I want to believe that every single day I answer every email as soon as I get it. I don't, but I'm trying. And at some point, my best has to count for something. My best is good enough. This is the best that I can do this day. And Liz, you have really good perspective on this from from just like a, a body movement, it's like, here's what, here's how my body can move this day. That's enough. This feels like a Debbie Downer note to end on. But I also think the uncomfortable conversations are probably the ones that need to be had the most. The ones that make us feel strange or uncomfortable or give us butterflies or whatever those feelings are that make us want to run away and turn this off. Those are the ones that, that we need to, to sit in for a little while. And in my case, like I said, I'm angry about this. I'm bothered by it. I'm uncomfortable. I'm not uncomfortable because I'm, I'm crying here. This is, Hey, love, love me a good bag of emotions, but I'm definitely feeling a lot of things. So I want to wrap this up with, um, with just the idea that you're good enough and I'm good enough and Liz is good enough. And maybe we need to tell each other that a little more. So instead of having to write a long LinkedIn post about leaving your job at four o'clock, just leave your job at four o'clock and you're good enough regardless or leave your job at 5.30, still good enough. Or stop talking about work on the weekend, still good enough. Go write a shitty blog post, still good enough. And then the second part I think is when you stop crying. <laughs> um, think about what you could do if you actually believed that you were good enough. There are some chances I would take. There are some things I might do differently. There are some things I would ask for, right? And the queen of don't ask, don't get. If I believed that what I was doing is good enough, I would ask for more things. I would be far less afraid. So maybe, uh, maybe that's the next, wouldn't it be cool if right? Wouldn't it be cool if is, is my favorite prompt to help me get dreamy. And if I believed I was good enough, I would is falling into that place. So there, there you go. This is, uh, 
doing exactly what it was intended to do. Let's talk about these mini ideas and see where they go. And this is wrapping up on an idea that we need to explore more. And I have to laugh because for one of the most unscripted episodes, this is where we get to the biggest shit. And I love this. I love this place. This is one of like the coolest episodes that as we're doing it, I'm like, I feel like this is going to hit some people in the guts. And that's what we're here to do. So thank you to those of you who have uh, joined us for this adventure, this experiment of some mini podcast episodes. This idea of enoughness is one that we need to keep exploring. And I want to hear more. I want to hear from you about what's sticking out to you from this episode. I encourage you to send me any half-formed idea that you think is shitty so that we can talk about it and discuss it. Because like I said, if I'm feeling this, somebody else must be feeling it. And the same is true for you. If, if you are feeling it, somebody else is too. And that's why we talk about it. Um, Liz, do you have anything you want to share? I was just going to ask, did you think you needed waterproof mascara this morning when we started this? <laughs> I didn't, but here we go. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't expect that. But I'm it glad didn't. it happened. Me too. Me too. I love a good cathartic cry. And sometimes they come from interesting places. So very, very delighted by this conversation and where it went. This is usually something I would say post-recording, uh, but I think that this is something that we should do again a bunch of mini ideas rolled into one episode. I think that this was a a lovely format and a cool experiment for us to try. And I, I look forward to us doing it again, because I think there's some really wonderful stuff here. Yeah. And I, I know I have felt the pressure of how do I take this little idea and make it into a 30 minute episode? And there's a reason that we stopped doing the, what would Amanda Wagner do, even though I've had this idea of like, what if we have a show with just questions, but that's, I like this format. I do as much as we laugh about the word authenticity, this is pretty much as real as it gets. Mm -hmm. So with that, let's, uh, let's wrap it up. My, my call to action, if you will, uh, sit in some discomfort of your enoughness and, and following that, tell somebody that you know that they're good enough Maybe it'll hit them like it's hitting us. Maybe it won't, but that's okay. I think we all need to hear it. Um, as always, <laughs> I am looking for speaking gigs for 2023. Um, I absolutely love to be on stages and work with people and explore big ideas in this type of format. So for 2023, if you need somebody who will fire up your audience, who will have these hard discussions, will make people a little bit uncomfortable but in a wonderful way that actually makes them think about what they do and who they are and the value that they bring that's me please find me at theamandawagner.com and like liz said we're gonna do more of these 
we're gonna take some of these half ideas and see where they go because there's some really great stuff in here. So thank you for for sticking with us to this episode. This is this is really, really good. And I'm so appreciative that you will sit here and listen to me cry on a podcast. And I hope that, that someone's crying in their car right now. I can't believe that this was episode 69. Our next episode is our 70th episode. 70, which is wild to me. And we will be back in two weeks with that episode. So stay tuned for that. And until then, as always, friends, we will see you on the internet. And you're good enough. And you're good enough. Thanks, Liz. Of course. Do you feel better? Almost. Okay. Is there anything I can do to make that a full yes? I'm okay with almost. Okay. That's good. That's good enough. Okay. This just, it hits a hard day. And it, it, like, I tell Dottie that every night. And I'm so, like, I have therapy this week. Just turn it out there. I have therapy every week. (laughs) 